We are continuing our series today on winning the war. And I hope you are winning the war. It is a daily battle as we do battle with the enemy of our soul who wants to destroy us, our unity in the body of Christ. He wants to destroy our peace, to steal that from us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Today I've entitled the message, Shoes of Peace. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. It says this, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Battle of Antietam in 1862 lasted for 12 hours and it ranks as one of the bloodiest days of the Civil War with 10,000 Confederate casualties and even more on the Union side. At last the sun went down and the battle ended, wrote one historian. Smoke heavy in the air, the twilight quivering with the anguished cries of thousands of wounded men. Though militarily a draw, the mediocre Union General George McClellan was able to end the brilliant Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland, forcing him to retire across the Potomac. How was this possible? Two Union soldiers had found a copy of Lee's battle plans and hand-delivered them to McClellan before the engagement. In some respects, we're no match for the enemy, the adversary. Satan, his strategies, we are told to be wary of. But as with General McClellan, our enemy's plans have fallen into our hands. We're not ignorant of his plan, his device to destroy, to divide, to steal our peace, to entice us with lies, lust, greed, and such things. With this knowledge given us in God's word and God's spirit within, we can resist the enemy's advances. Paul, again, is in a prison in Rome. He's tied, chained to a Roman soldier. He looks at the Roman soldier's garb. He sees the shoes, the sandals that the Roman soldier wore, the hobnails that stuck out on the bottom of those sandals so that he could stand firm in battle and also that he could move quickly left or right with those spikes to be able to mobilize. And when we think in terms of sharing the gospel of peace, we have to go into the world and we have to take our stand for Christ to have conviction over the gospel, but we also have to mobilize and move to where the lost are to share the gospel with them. God has called us to do that. For a soldier to go into battle without sandals of peace could be serious injury or death. If he wore only one of the sandals, it would throw him off balance. He would not be able to move properly. The thick, hard leather sole on the bottom of the sandal protected the soldier from stepping on something that would injure him. So today we want to look at three aspects of the gospel of peace and what it does for us. The first one is this. Believing in the gospel of peace 
reconciles us to God. There is nothing else, nothing else that will reconcile us to God but believing in the gospel of peace. Here's what he says in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time, before you came to Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, citizenship, strangers to the covenants of promise, because it was given to the Jew, he's writing about the Gentile, having no hope and without God in the world. Now look at that, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, no hope and without God. No peace. And he's telling us that God has come not just to reconcile the Jew, but he's came to reconcile the Gentile as well. And we're going to see how he does that in a moment. But when we look back in Ephesians chapter 2, if we were to look at the first 10 verses, it really deals with personal reconciliation of a sinner to a holy God. Just flip back there briefly and look how he starts off. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And there are still people in our world today who think they can go out and do acts of kindness, acts of charity, good deeds, and somehow that's going to bring life to them in Christ. It's not. You're still dead. Your acts are dead. Our righteousness before God is filthy rags. The only thing that will reconcile us as a sinner to a holy God is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his shed blood. That was the only thing that will work for the Jew, and it's the only thing that will work for the Gentile. It's the only thing that will work for the pagan and the sinful is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it tells us this. He tells us that we were objects of God's wrath in chapter 2. He goes on the second part of chapter 2, in verses 11 to 22, the focus is on the reconciliation of the Gentiles. For centuries, the Jews looked with utter contempt on the Gentiles. The Jews felt they were privileged people, and they were included in the God's covenant by their heritage. They believed the Gentiles had no part of God's covenant. They're described as being without Christ, without covenant, without hope, and without God. And this separation was due to their sin and their spiritual bankruptcy. But Paul preaches the good news in chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. First, we're told the bad news, that we're dead in sin, that we're objects of God's wrath, that we deserve his eternal wrath. And then he brings us the good news. It brings news of joy. It brings news of victory. It brings victory over our enemies. It brings news of deliverance. It is news of joy because it causes the heart to be sweet. In Isaiah 52, 7, says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's the gospel of peace. It's good news. But before we share the good news, we have to tell people the bad news. We're separated from God. We're dead in transgressions and sins. We deserve God's eternal wrath and judgment. But the good news is God has come to reconcile us to him 
through his son Jesus Christ. He publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness. And notice he says the feet, our feet are to be fitted with the gospel of peace. Why? Because that's how, especially in their culture, how they moved from place to place was a lot of walking. It's our mobility to proclaim the good news. Look in Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What is the greatest news of a person in spiritual poverty is that they can be made spiritually rich through the gospel of peace that they can be reconciled, that all of the sin and all of the hostility between them and God can be made right. What is reconciliation? It is to be restored to friendship or harmony. That's what God has done. We are at odds with God. We are enemies of God, and God has restored that relationship, not through my human effort of good works or your efforts of good works. It's through the cross of Jesus' death on the cross his shed blood. Let's look again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Look what it says. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. Here he's talking about Jew and Gentile who were at odds, who hated each other. The Jews looked with contempt on them. He has made Jew and Gentile one. There's a unity in the cross. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The hatred was gone. It was removed because of the power of the gospel of peace. Let's look at the second aspect. Believing in the gospel of peace not only reconciles us to God, but now here's where the rub really hits the road. It reconciles us to one another. You say, wait a minute, but I'm a Christian, but I'm at odds with this person. I got somebody right now you can think of that you are at odds with. Let me tell you something. If you believe in the gospel of peace, you will go to that person and straighten it out. You cannot believe in the gospel of peace and live in conflict with someone knowingly and be in a right relationship with God because when my relationship is right vertically with God, my relationships strive to be right horizontally from man to man. We cannot live at odds. It brings unity. Remember, it made Jew and Gentile one. We come together in unity. That's what the power of the gospel does. If it didn't do that, then it's weak. The gospel is weak. But it's not weak. It's powerful. It's the only thing that will take the hostility out of my heart and the hostility out of your heart where we can come together and we may not totally agree, but we can say, you know what? We love each other through Jesus Christ because we both believe Jesus died on the cross for us. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And therefore, we can be reconciled. But you know what? Sometimes we have to look in Scripture. We go back into Matthew and we look in Scripture where it says, before you judge somebody else and you try to pull the log out of their eye or the speck out of their eye, take the plank out of your own first. In other words, look at yourself because we all have blind spots in our life and the Holy Spirit can shed light on those blind spots. 
in our lives as we surrender them to the Lord. The Gentiles and Jews were reconciled to God and to one another. The enmity, the barrier had been broken down. Reconciliation means to bring together again. And here's what reconciliation does. It makes a new society. It makes a new community. It makes a new people. First, there is peace with God vertically when we're reconciled to God and horizontally between humans. We are members of God's household. We are fellow citizens. We're joined together, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2 at the end, we are joined together and members of God's household, fellow citizens, joined together into a holy temple in the Lord, being built together to become a people where God lives in us by his spirit. There is nothing more damaging to the gospel than as someone who says they are saved and they believe in the gospel of peace, but they live in conflict with Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. That is contradictory to the gospel. We cannot do that. We become a stumbling block for other people to come to the gospel. What makes the gospel powerful is when we live it out day to day in our lives and it changes my relationships. It transforms them from the inside out. You see, the actions of one soldier affects everyone in the platoon. Let me give you an example. There was a journalist. For 15 months, this journalist named Sebastian Junger, he followed a single platoon of U.S. soldiers stationed in a dangerous part of Afghanistan. He was living and working in the midst of a war zone, and it made Junger realize how much the soldiers had to rely on each other. What you do or don't do as a soldier affects everyone else in your platoon. Junger writes, margins were so small and errors potentially so catastrophic that every soldier had a kind of de facto authority to reprimand others. In some cases, even officers, because combat can hinge on small details. There was nothing in a soldier's daily routine that fell outside of the group's purview. Whether you tied your shoes or cleaned your weapon, or drank enough water, or secured your night vision gear were all matters of public concern and were open to public scrutiny. Once, he said, I watched a private reprimand another private whose bootlaces were trailing on the ground. Not that he cared what he looked like, but he said if something happened out there, and out there everything happened suddenly, the guy with the loose laces couldn't be counted on to keep his feet at a crucial moment. It was the other man's life he was risking, not just his own. There was no such thing as personal safety out there. What happened to you happened to everyone. You know, one of the things we don't understand in community and corporate worship is my presence and absence makes a difference. My activity or inactivity, my passivity in the gospel of peace makes a difference. I'm either an encouragement or I'm a discouragement in the body of Christ. I'm either actively engaged in promoting the gospel or I'm actively engaged in demoting the gospel. 
and how we live. How do we live? This peace, this gospel of peace, means the absence of hostile feelings. It brings harmony into a home. Harmonious relations and freedom from disputes. Is your home a war zone? Behind closed doors? Is there peace behind closed doors or is it a war zone? Is there fighting and bickering and arguing? My friends, you think you leave that at home when you come to church? You don't. You bring it with you. You may keep it stuffed inside, but it's with you. Everywhere we go and everything we do impacts the gospel. The absence of mental stress and anxiety, that's what the gospel of peace will do. It doesn't mean we never have that, but there's overall a general mental stress and anxiety is removed because of the gospel of peace. When we recognize the worth of salvation. So, how does this impact us spiritually? I like this comment that demons are attracted to the garbage in our lives. Demons are attracted to the garbage in our lives. As significant as demonic influence may be, it is never the primary issue, though, in someone's life. It may be a deadly, destructive consequence or fruit, but is not the root of the problem. Charles Kraft has a helpful analogy. He says demons, listen to this carefully, demons are like rats that are attracted to garbage. The problem is the garbage consisting of things like our persistent sinful behaviors, our reactions to our emotional wounds, and sinful generational influences and patterns. These are the issues for which we are responsible. When we deal with them, when we get rid of the garbage, the rats don't have anything to feed on. And it's easy to make them go away. So let me ask you, is there some kind of garbage in your life that the rats are feeding on and you need to get rid of that garbage out of your life through the gospel of peace? That's what God wants to do for every one of us. And I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what scars you have in your life. But I know this. If you cling to those scars and you cling to that garbage and you don't want to let it go, you will not experience the gospel of peace. If you have conflict with other people and you won't deal with that conflict, you have garbage in your life that the rats will feed on. You have to get it out of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, believing in the gospel of peace motivates us to share it with others. When I believe in the gospel of peace, it gives me a courage and a boldness to share it with others. As I flew back to Virginia a couple weeks ago, I was praying for opportunities on the plane just to try to talk to people 
First guy I met on the first leg was from southern Sudan. I think he, he might have been a Christian. We talked, and he was in a church in Sioux Falls. He invited me to that church. The next couple I met on the next leg, I couldn't, I couldn't get to first base with them. I mean, I'm sitting there praying, and this, I'm asking this guy all kinds of questions and just bombarding him. He wouldn't ask me a single question. I'm like, oh, my goodness, he won't even ask me my name. or I mean, he wouldn't ask me anything. I was trying everything, and I was like, God, just give me an opportunity. And finally, I just said, well, I'm going to try to make an opportunity. <laughs> and I looked out the window, and I said, isn't it something when you look out the window when you fly and you see the beauty and the majesty of the world, how anyone could believe there's not a God? He wouldn't even bite on that. <laughs> I said, well, I guess it's not meant to be. But, you know, we can't force our way. But the point is, we should be motivated to share the gospel with the lost. Praying for opportunities, not running from them. And seeking the Lord. And when we believe in the gospel of peace, notice what Paul says. Our feet are fitted with these shoes of peace. I remember when, uh, I forget which one of our boys was really, really little. And he put my shoes on. I mean, they were like 10 times too big. Had my suit jacket on, it was dragging on the floor. And shoes, it's like you can't wear somebody else's clothes. You can't wear somebody else's stuff. We can't wear the, somebody else's gospel of peace. It has to be something I possess. I possess this gospel of peace. It's part of who I am. It's part of what I believe. And when we have that, here's what it does. It prepares us to be ambassadors for Christ. To be an ambassador. Preparation is vital to be an ambassador for Christ. Soldiers need to wear sandals or technically boots. They wore it was like a half boot, as it were. Called a Roman caligula. So they could advance toward the enemy undistracted about what they might step on. This gear was essential to their preparation for battle. Paul takes the image from the herald of Isaiah 52, 7, who announces good news, sharing the message of Christ, advances God's army against the enemy's position. And then we talk about preparation or readiness in three areas, and I want to mention these briefly and just talk about them. First of all, we should have readiness for good work. If we believe in the gospel of peace, that it reconciles me to God, it reconciles us to one another, then we would want to be ready to do the good work of God. He tells us in Titus 3.1, remind them, he tells Titus, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. What happens when I'm submissive to a ruler and authority and I'm obedient? I'm doing the work of God. I'm ready to do the work of God. 2 Timothy 2, 21. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and what? Ready for every good work. And notice it says in our text, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Ready for every good work. 
set apart as holy, honorable use. I become more valuable in the hand of God. There's a respect that comes with that. God sees me as worthy of his witness. I'm set apart as holy. I'm dedicated to God. I'm clean in a moral sense. I don't have moral filth in my life that I'm hiding. I'm not living a double life. I'm living a single life before the Lord. Set apart as holy, dedicated to God, continually being sanctified and changed into the image of Christ. And when we talk about being sanctified, he's talking about being holy. Set apart as holy is being sanctified. Sanctified is set apart from that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. The sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about in Romans 15, 16, that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The influence of the Holy Spirit on my heart has an impact, in other words. But God will allow us tests regarding our sanctification. Our tests could be, you know, I think, I think they could be as simple as getting out the Christmas lights. Now you're going to do that this time of year, but you get them out and Man, they're tangled up. That's a test of sanctification. It's a test of sanctification when you hang those Christmas lights and then you plug them in and half of them don't work. It's a test of sanctification. Is it not? It's a test of sanctification when I get up in the morning and by 9 o'clock what I thought was on my agenda has been totally trashed. And it's in ashes and smoke. It's a test of sanctification. What comes out of my mouth? What kind of attitude do I exhibit? Is it the gospel of peace? Probably not. <laughs> there are times it's not the gospel of peace. But that's when it should be prevalent. Where was Paul? Paul was in a Roman prison. The pressure was on. He was chained. And yet the gospel of peace was exuding out of him. He says we will be ready, we will be serviceable, we will be useful, we will be helpful, we will be beneficial. How are you benefiting the body of Christ as the gospel of peace at work in you? Where are you serving in the body of Christ? Who are you touching? Who are you meeting with one-on-one -on -one for coffee? Who are you getting together with? Who are you impacting for the cause of Christ, the gospel of peace? Coach John Wooden, I love his comment, in terms of preparation, he said, when an opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. It's too late. When the opportunity is there, God wants us to be prepared before the opportunity comes, so that when the opportunity comes, we are prepared for that opportunity that is put before us. Let's go on. Secondly, Readiness for gospel witness. Not only re ready for good works, but ready for gospel witness. In 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Do we do that? Do we honor him as holy in our heart? Always being what? Prepared. As ambassadors of Christ, we strive to prepare ourselves to be a tool in the hand of the Lord to be used to spread the gospel of peace. Always being prepared to make a defense, 
to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I used to work with a lot of people who were of a different faith. They had a different belief system than I did when I was a salesman. And I would talk to them in the sales room, and we would engage in dialogue. And one guy says, well, you need to talk to my priest. I said, I need to talk to your priest about what you believe. What do you believe? I don't need to talk to your priest. I'm talking to you. <laughs> What's your faith? What do you understand? And he was intimidated. It's like, what do we believe? And, and the word there, talking about being prepared to give a reason, is the word apologia, which is the idea of apologetics, where we give a verbal defense of what we believe. We should be able to do that. We should be able to do it with gentleness and respect. The knowledge of God's word. We should grow in that knowledge and opportunity. Here's what the psalmist said. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. I'm verbally declaring it. Verbal declaration of the gospel of peace. Because some people think, well, you know, if I just live a good life, if I just give a good example and I treat people kindly, and no, he's saying don't hide. Verbal declaration of the gospel of peace to take it to people. Paul said in Acts 20, 24, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to what? Testify to the gospel of the grace of God. A verbal declaration is necessary. And then the third readiness that we should have is readiness for the Lord's return. Matthew 24, 44 says this, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And I would expect when we walk out of the doors of this church and we start rubbing shoulders with people in the community this week, we're going to see a lot of people barefooted. Not literally, not physically, spiritually. They're barefooted. They have no protection for their life. They have no hope. They're without God. They're without Christ. They're separated from the covenant of God. They have no hope. And it's all in how we perceive it do we think about the return of the Lord in light of that. I'm reminded of the two salesmen that went to Africa, shoe salesmen. They got off the boat. One of them wired back to the States immediately it said, cancel all orders. Nobody here wears shoes. The other one wired back immediately as well. He said, double all orders. Nobody here wears shoes. There was two people who saw the same exact scenario. One saw the opportunity. The other one saw no opportunity. So what do we do with that? Do we really recognize that people are barefoot? They have no stability nor mobility to get where God wants them to go. How can we help them get there?
We have a conscience and vigilant expectation of the Lord's return. We are actively waiting and are prepared for his return. And our preparation for his return reminds us to share with others that they need to be prepared and not caught sleeping or with their lamps empty, as in the parable of the virgins. There were many cities and villages along the Indian Ocean that suffered catastrophic losses in December of 2004 from the tsunami. The port city, though, of Pondicherry, India, and its 300,000 inhabitants were spared. Just beyond the city limits, 600 people were killed by the devastating tidal wave, but Pondicherry withstood the tsunami. Why were they protected? The answer began 250 years earlier, when France colonized the city. The French built a massive stone seawall. Year after year, the French continued to strengthen the wall, piling huge boulders along its 1.25-mile length. The French stopped building Pondicherry Seawall in 1957, but their work prepared them for a disaster that it would occur five decades into the future. There is a tsunami coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning. We need to be ready to do good works. We need to be ready for gospel witness. And we need to be ready for the Lord's return. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let me ask you, where are you in this spectrum? We sang the song about peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless billows of love. Where are you in relationship to the shoes of peace? Do you have peace with God in your soul, in your heart? Or are you just kind of drifting through life, living according to your agenda, your plans, your thoughts, your dreams? Or are you looking to the Lord? You cannot be in a right relationship with God apart from the cross. That's why we boldly and unashamedly week after week, preach the cross. The message of the gospel, the gospel of peace. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Have you reconciled, have you made peace with God through Jesus Christ? And secondly, if you're a believer, believing the gospel of peace reconciles us to one another. Is there anybody you're at odds with? Conflict? You're not at harmony? You're not at peace? There's a war zone going on? Maybe today is the day for you to embrace the gospel of peace 
for that conflict. You fall on your face before God and say, first of all, God, what have I done? Have I done anything to contribute to this conflict? Is there anything in wrong in me that has drove, driven a wedge between myself and this person? And then to deal with it in a way that honors the Lord. Because it is a stumbling block to the gospel of peace to a watching world. And then thirdly, believing in the gospel of peace motivates us to share it with others. All of us can always do better at that one. And the goal is not to go out of here and beat yourself up saying, oh, I got to, you know, every 24 hours I got to. No, I'm saying to be actively praying for opportunities and then taking steps to try to share that as God opens the door, but to actively pursue opportunities because they're not going to just, you know, magically appear. We have to pray and seek the Lord for those opportunities. But we have the shoes of peace that bring reconciliation to a lost world. There's a lot of turmoil and confusion and hurt in our world. And as people look at the church and they see the gospel of peace and the unity, it's a bold testimony to the gospel of peace. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'd be willing to pray with you, meet with you, share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Would you talk to me after the service? I'll be greeting people in the back. Don't leave without talking to someone about your eternal soul. Or if you have a need, you're a Christian, you say, you know, I've got this struggle, I'd be willing to pray with you, to meet with you and just help you work through whatever it is God is dealing with you about. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.